Well, hey everybody, I'm Adam Shell, the pastor at Melbourne Heights, and welcome to our sermon podcast. And in this episode of our podcast, we are starting into a brand new sermon series that we're calling A New Normal. And we're starting into this series because life is starting to return back to normal after we have all been living through the COVID-19 pandemic for more than a year. And this pandemic, it has changed our world forever. And let's just be honest here. There was no way that this novel virus that has infected 130 million people all across the globe and contributed to the deaths of nearly 3 million people worldwide wouldn't change our world forever. So COVID-19 has changed the way that we think about our health and it's changed the way that we interact with other people. It's changed the way that we shop. It changed the way that we eat. And yeah, COVID-19 is also going to change the way that we do church in the future as well. So that's what we're focusing in on over the next few episodes of our sermon podcast. We're going to be talking about how COVID-19 is going to change our church in the future. But I'll go ahead and give you a hint here. Even though COVID-19 has changed our world forever, what God wants for the church and what God wants from the church hasn't changed. So let's get right into this episode's sermon and see what our first priority as a church is going to be as we enter into our new normal. So last Sunday was the first chance that we've had to worship together in person at Melbourne Heights in more than a year. And it was an incredible Sunday. Amen? All right, y'all are awake out there. I like it. I mean, I can't even begin to explain to you just how amazing it was to be able to see so many of you face-to-face and in person for the first time in more than a year last week. And I can't even begin to explain just how touching it was to be able to stand around in the halls and talk with you and laugh with you before the service started and after it finished last week. And I can't even begin to explain just how moving it was to be sitting together in the same room with other people worshiping God after we spent last, the last year worshiping together on the other side of computer screens. So last Sunday was incredible, but it was also incredibly different. Last Sunday, let's just be honest here, was unlike any other Sunday that we have ever experienced in the history of Melbourne Heights. I mean, in all the years that we've worshiped together at Melbourne Heights, We've never had to wear face masks when we came together before. In all our years worshiping together at Melbourne Heights, we have never had to stay six feet apart from each other before. In all our years worshiping together at Melbourne Heights, we have never had to refuse handshakes or hugs before. In all our years worshiping together at Melbourne Heights, we have never had part of our congregation attending in person while part of our congregation worships together online. And those are just some of the ways that worship was different for us last week than anything that we've experienced before. But none of those things have changed today either. We're still wearing face masks when we come together to worship today. We're still trying to stay six feet apart from each other when we came in to worship today. We're still having to refuse to shake hands and hug people when we see each other today. And we still have part of our congregation worshiping in person and part of our congregation worshiping online today. And none of those things are going to change anytime soon. Because whether we like it or not, the COVID-19 pandemic has changed the world forever. And there was just no way that this novel virus that has infected 130 million people worldwide and contributed to the deaths of nearly 3 million people across the globe 
that it wouldn't change our world forever. So COVID-19 has changed the way that we think about our health. COVID-19 has changed the way that we interact with other people. COVID-19 has changed the way that we shop, and it's changed the way that we eat. So, yeah, COVID-19 is going to change the way that we do church together as well. So that means that right now, we at Melbourne Heights are standing on the cusp of something brand new. We are standing on the cusp of a new normal. And at this point, there should be one thing that is becoming abundantly clear to us all. And that's that there is going to be nothing normal about our new normal. There's going to be nothing normal about our new normal. At least not anytime soon. And I know that that's scary for every single one of us. And that's because up until March 15th of last year, we knew what normal looked like at Melbourne Heights. Up until March 15th of last year, we had really only done church together one way at Melbourne Heights. So our temptation right now as we start thinking about what our new normal is going to be like is going to be to rush to make everything exactly like it was before the pandemic began. So our temptation is going to be to fill our worship space with as many chairs as we can possibly fit in and throw our doors open to the world and just hope that people show up. And our temptation is going to be to start having our small groups meeting together in cozy little classrooms in close proximity again as quickly as we possibly can. And our temptation is going to be to start relaunching and restarting every program and every ministry that we have ever offered in the history of our church, from our choir all the way down to our children's ministry, as soon as we can feasibly do it. But before we start rushing to make our new normal exactly what it was like before the pandemic began, I think we need to slow down and spend some time thinking about what God wants for our church and what God wants from our church. And that's exactly what we're going to be talking about over the next few weeks. We're going to be talking about what God wants for our church and what God wants from our church as we enter into our new normal. And to help us get started today, I want to tell you two different stories. One of these stories is about one of the most triumphant moments in the history of sports, and the other story is about one of the most memorable failures in the history of sports. But both of these stories start from a place where something unexpected, unplanned for, happened. So the first story takes place at the 2008 Summer Olympic Games in Beijing, China. Now, 2008 was a pretty long time ago, even if it doesn't feel that way. So there's a good chance that you don't remember anything that happened at the 2008 Summer Olympics. But if you remember anything from those Olympic Games, chances are that it involves Michael Phelps. And that's because in the 2008 Summer Olympics, Michael Phelps earned the right to compete in eight different Olympic events. And that means that he had the chance to bring home eight different gold medals. And in his quest to bring home those eight gold medals, Michael Phelps had some incredibly dominant moments, like in his very first event during those Olympic Games. The first event that Michael Phelps competed in was the 400-meter individual medley. And he not only won that event, brought home that gold medal, but he also shattered the, the world record that he previously held by one and a half seconds, which is unheard of in the swimming world. 
His performance was so dominant in those Olympic Games that that world record still stands today more than 12 years later. But not every one of Michael Phelps' events would be quite so dominant. As a matter of fact, in the second event that he competed in in those Olympic Games, his quest to, end eight, his quest to win eight gold medals almost came to an end. And in that second event, which was the 4x100-meter freestyle relay, the American team trailed the French team going into the final leg, the anchor leg of that race. To make matters worse, the, the guy that was swimming the anchor leg for the French team was actually the world record holder in the 100-meter free, uh, freestyle. And the American team, their anchor leg wasn't swam by Michael Phelps. Michael Phelps had already had his turn in the pool, so all he could do at the end of the race was stand on the pool deck and watch as his teammate, Jason Lezak, somehow managed to catch up with the, the French swimmer to overtake him and to bring home the gold medal. So for a lot of people, the most memorable image from the 2008 Olympic Games was the way that Michael Phelps celebrated after his team won with his fists clenched, and he let out a huge yell to celebrate that victory. But another Olympic gold medalist will actually tell you that what Michael Phelps accomplished along with the American team in that relay race is nothing compared with what he had to overcome in another event during those Olympic Games. Rowdy Gaines, who won three swimming gold medals himself in the 1984 Olympics, has actually said that what Michael Phelps faced in another event would have caused any mere mortal to fold up. And this happened in the 200-meter butterfly event. Now, the 200-meter butterfly is actually Michael Phelps' best event. So going into the Beijing Olympics, it was a foregone conclusion that not only was Michael Phelps going to win that race, he was going to dominate his competition, and he was probably going to set another world record in the process. But all of those foregone conclusions got thrown into doubt as soon as Michael Phelps dove into the pool and the championships, the final of that event. And that's because as soon as he dove into the pool, his goggles broke, and they started to fill with water. Now, most of us, if we had that happen to us, we would have stopped and we would have taken our goggles off. It would have been too hard for us to continue. But Michael Phelps knew that if he slowed down for even an instant, that he'd lose the race. So he swam on even as his goggles completely filled with water. Midway through the race, he couldn't see anything that was happening. Now think about that for just a second. Here Michael Phelps is competing in one of the most important races in his entire career, and he can't see anything that's happening. He can't see where he's at in the pool. He can't see where his competitors are at beside him in the race. He can't see when he needs to make a turn, and he can't see when he needs to stretch out to touch the finish line. So it's amazing enough that Michael Phelps even managed to finish that race. But what's truly incredible is that he still won that race, he still brought home that gold medal, and he still broke a world record, set a world record in that event. But not every sports story has that kind of happy ending to it. As a matter of fact, some of the most memorable moments in sports involve when someone fails. And that's exactly what happened to Leon Lett in Super Bowl 27. In Super Bowl 27, the Dallas Cowboys were playing the Buffalo Bills. And Leon Lett was an important part of that Cowboys defense. He played defensive tackle, and he had a real knack for getting to the quarterback. 
And that knack for getting to the quarterback almost paid off big time in the closing minutes of that game. Late in the fourth quarter, one of Leon Lett's teammates sacked the quarterback for the Buffalo Bills, Frank Reich, and he caused a fumble. And Leon Lett was right there to scoop that fumble up. And as soon as he had that ball in his hands, there was nothing and no one standing between him and the end zone. Leon Lett was on the verge of making history for the longest fumble return for a touchdown in a Super Bowl ever. But after he had run 54 yards down the field, Leon Lett decided he wanted to celebrate just a little bit. So he stretched his hands out and he slowed down as he was coming toward the end zone. And in that moment, Don Beebe, who was a wide receiver for the Buffalo Bills, comes racing up from behind him. And Don Beebe knocks the ball out of Leon Lett's hands right before he crosses the goal line. Which costs the Dallas Cowboys six points, turns the ball back over to the Buffalo Bills. Even though that happened at Super Bowl twenty-seven which took place in 1993, it's still considered one of the most memorable failures in the history of sports. And it only would have been worse if the Cowboys hadn't gone on to win that game. So these two stories, story about Michael Phelps and Leon Lett, they both occur when something unexpected and unplanned for happened which is exactly what we've been living through over the last year. We've been living in an unexpected and unplanned for environment. So how was it that Michael Phelps was able to overcome his adversity and accomplish one of the most successful and triumphant moments in the history of sports where Leon Lett blew a golden opportunity? Well, I think it all comes down to one thing, and that's, priorities. Here's what I mean. When Michael Phelps made it to the Beijing Olympics, he had one goal, one priority, and that was to win eight different gold medals. So he wasn't going to let anyone or anything stand between him and those goals. And even though he never could have imagined that he would have his goggles break in the finals of one of those events, he was prepared to do whatever it took to win that race. And that's exactly what he did. Because even though Michael Phelps couldn't see anything in that event, he actually didn't need to see anything to do everything that he knew to do to win that race. And that's because Michael Phelps had been racing that event, that 200-meter butterfly stroke, for so long that he could literally do everything he needed to do to win that race with his eyes closed. So that's what he did. He raced the race with his eyes closed, but because he had done it so many times before, he knew every stroke that he needed to take, so he counted them all throughout the race. He knew exactly when he needed to flip over and turn in the pool to keep him from running into the wall or slowing down at all. And he knew exactly when he needed to reach out his arm to touch the finish line to win the race. And he knew all of those things because he knew his priority. His top priority was winning that race to bring home eight gold medals at that Olympic Games. But Leon Lett, he forgot what his priorities were in the Super Bowl. Leon Lett's top priority should have been helping the Cowboys win that game, so he should have been prepared to do anything in his power to help his team accomplish that goal. But when he had scooped up that ball and started running toward the end zone, for at least a moment, 
he forgot what his main priority was. Instead of doing everything he could to help his team win, he decided he was going to celebrate just a little bit. And when he lost sight of his priorities, everything fell apart. He cost his team six points on the scoreboard. But what does all this have to do with us? And more importantly, what can these two stories teach us about what God wants for us and from us as we enter into our new normal? Well, here it is. In our new normal, some things will change, but our priorities can't. In our new normal, some things will change, but our priorities can't. So this begs the question, what do our priorities need to be? Because let's just be honest here, nobody sitting in this room right now is a world-class athlete that's getting ready to compete in the next Super Bowl or the Summer Olympics. So if our main priority isn't doing everything we can to bring home a Lombardi trophy or an Olympic gold medal, what do our priorities need to be? Well, that's exactly what we're going to be talking about over the next few weeks here at Malvern Heights. Each Sunday morning, we're going to talk about a different priority that God has given his people, his church, to follow. So what's the priority that we're going to be talking about today? Well, to help us answer that question, I want to tell you another story. And this story takes place in one of the shortest books in the entire Bible. It takes place in the book of Haggai. Now, the events that take place in the book of Haggai happened about 500 years before Jesus was even born. But even though these events took place a long time ago, they can still teach us something really important about what our priorities as a church need to be today. So let's take a look at what Haggai has to tell us, see what this priority is. We'll start reading in chapter 1, verse 1. Here's what Haggai writes. The Lord's word came through Haggai the prophet in the second year of King Darius, in the sixth month on the first day of the month, to Judah's governor, Zerubbabel, Shealtiel's son, and to the high priest, Joshua, Jehozadak's son. Okay, this verse, even though it has some strange names inside of it, it helps set the scene for what's about to happen. And in the details that we find inside of this one verse, we can figure out when these events take place. We're told that everything that we're about to read happens in the second year of King Darius' reign, and it happens on the first day of the sixth month. Now, that's not exactly the way that we record dates in the 21st century today, but based on that information alone, biblical scholars can tell us exactly when these events took place. They actually take place on August 29th, 520 B.C. And as we keep going a little bit further in the story, we're going to figure out why that matters. But the other thing that it tells us is that this happens on the first day of the sixth month. And in Israel's history, the people of Israel were supposed to go to the temple of the Lord and offer a special sacrifice on the first day of the month. But again, as we keep reading, we'll see why that matters to us. So we'll pick back up in Haggai chapter 1, verse 2. Here's what it says. This is what the Lord of heavenly forces says. These people say, the time hasn't come, the time to rebuild the Lord's house. Then the Lord's word came through Haggai the prophet. Is it time for you to dwell in your own paneled houses while this house lies in ruins. So in these couple of verses, we learn that the people of Israel are back home. 
they've been home after their Babylonian exile for about 18 years when the story takes place. They've been home for 18 years, and over the course of those 18 years, they were supposed to spend the first day of the month, every single month, going down to the temple to offer sacrifices to God. But for 18 years, they haven't done that. For 18 years, they haven't gone down to the temple to offer sacrifices to God on the first day of the month, and they haven't been able to do that because they haven't rebuilt the temple yet. The temple of God lies in ruins, and it's lied in ruins for 18 years. But that's not all that we hear in this passage. We also hear that while the people of Israel have let the temple of God lie in ruins for 18 years, they've been busy decking out their own houses. I love the way that the New Living Translation translates verse 4. Here's what it says. It says, why are you living in luxurious houses while my house lies in ruins? So the people of Israel who spent the last 18 years focused on themselves, building up their own houses, and they haven't paid any attention to the temple of God at all. And as we keep reading in Haggai chapter 1, we're going to find out that there are consequences for their behavior. So we'll pick back up in Haggai 1 verse 5. Here's what it says. So now this is what the Lord of heavenly forces says. Take your ways to heart. You have sown much, but it has brought little. You eat, but there's not enough to satisfy. You drink, but there's not enough to get drunk. There's clothing, but not enough to keep warm. Anyone earning wages puts those wages into a bag with holes. This is what the Lord of heavenly forces says. Take your ways to heart. Go up to the highlands and bring back wood. Rebuild the temple so that I may enjoy it and that I may be honored, says the Lord. You expect a surplus, but look how it shrinks. You bring it home and I blow it away, says the Lord of heavenly forces, because my house lies in ruins. But all of you hurry to your own houses. Therefore, the skies above you have withheld the dew, and the earth has withheld its produce because of you. I have called for drought on the earth, on the mountains, on the grain, on the wine, on the olive oil, on that which comes forth from the fertile ground, on humanity, on beasts, and upon everything that handles produce. So in the verses we just read, we see that since the people of Israel have had their priorities out of line the whole time that they've been back in their country, that they have not been producing the fruit that they want to produce. And the same thing's going to be true for us as a church as we enter into our new normal. If our priorities are out of line, we're not going to produce the fruit that we need to produce. We're not going to be the church that God created us to be and calls us to be. So we have to make sure as we enter into our new normal that we have our priorities straight. So what does our first priority as a church need to be as we think about our new normal? Well, I think this passage in Haggai makes it pretty clear what our first priority needs to be. In our new normal, Worshiping God has to be our first priority. In our new normal, worshiping God has to be our first priority. 
Now, I want to take just a second here and talk about what I mean when I say worship, because even though we use the word worship all the time in church, even though I just preached a sermon series on this a couple of months ago, we still struggle to understand what worship is all about. And worship is all about us praising God. Worship is all about us aligning our priorities with God's priorities. Worship is all about us entering into God's presence. Worship is all about God. But we as people have a tendency to make worship all about ourselves. So instead of coming to worship and thinking about it as a place where we have the opportunity to enter into God's presence, we tend to think about worship when it comes to our own preferences. So we come to worship and we get upset when we can't sit where we want to sit inside of our worship space. We come to worship and we get upset when we can't shake hands and hug everybody that we get to see. We come to worship and we want to hear an uplifting sermon that makes us all smile as we walk out of the building, even if we don't always get it. And we come into worship expecting to sing the songs that we would sing if we were the ones planning the worship service. But when we make worship all about our preferences instead of the chance to enter into God's presence, we do the exact same thing the people of Israel did in the book of Haggai. We build up our own luxurious homes. We build up something that's all about us instead of thinking about God, instead of making our worship all about him. So as we enter into our new normal, we have to make our worship all about God, giving people the chance to connect with God wherever they may be. So that means that worship has to go beyond just the walls of this space that we're in, and it has to go beyond just what we do inside of our in-person worship services. So if you're joining us online right now, I want you to hear this. Online worship is going to be a priority for us as we enter into our new normal. So you're going to have the chance to worship with us on our church website, on Facebook, on YouTube, every single week going forward. Because all of our worship has to be a priority for us. Because right now God is giving us as a church the same opportunity that God gave the people of Israel all those years ago in the story that we just read. God is giving our church the chance to rebuild the church, just like the people of Israel had the chance to rebuild the temple. And if we follow God's priorities for our church, we will be able to minister to more people than we have in a long, long time. We've already seen this with the way that online worship services have gone for us. Just last week, we had about twice as many people worship with us online as we had worship with us in person. So what we need to do is not focus in on solely an in-person worship service. What we need to focus in on is what we need to do as a church to create a church where people can come together, where people can worship God, where people can grow in their faith regardless of their geographical location. So as we enter into our new normal, worship has to be our first priority, our top priority. But that's the starting point for us. But it's not the ending point for us. There are other priorities that we have to have as a church as we enter into our new normal. And we have to have these priorities because God's priorities haven't changed for us just because the world around us has. God's priorities for our church haven't changed even though the world around us has. So we want to think about, we want to talk about all of these priorities. But it starts with worship. And what can you do 
to make sure you're doing your part as we come together to worship, I want you to think about every chance that you have to worship, whether it's in person, whether it's online, as a chance to enter into God's presence. You have the opportunity when we worship together to come into the presence of the God who created the heavens and the earth and everything in them, including you. But how seriously do you take that opportunity? How serious are you about entering into God's presence when we have a worship service? Now, as we enter into our new normal, you've already seen something different about our services. The start of our service each week, we'll have a countdown timer that plays on the screen behind me if you're in person, or it plays on the screen if you're watching us online. Those five minutes give you the chance every single time that we gather together to worship to get your priorities straight, to focus in on your opportunity to enter into God's presence. So take those moments before our service and pray. Take those moments before our service and reflect. Take those moments before our service and Ask God to help you truly praise Him and make worship all about Him instead of making it all about you. Because worship has to be our first priority as we enter into our new normal. Because if we as a church aren't all about God, then what are we about? Let's pray together. God, as we come to you in this time of prayer, we just thank you so much for the chance that we have to worship you. God, sometimes it's easy for us to forget that we as human beings, we don't have any right to be able to worship you. We are only able to do this because you, our God, invite us into a relationship with you. You invite us to worship you. So let us never forget when we come together in this place, when we come together online, that what we do should be about you, first and foremost, and not about us. So let us set our preferences aside and focus in on being in your presence. Let us praise you. Let us align our priorities with yours. We pray it all in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, hey, everybody, it's Adam again, and I just want to thank you for tuning in to this episode of our sermon podcast. And I hope that today's episode has challenged you to focus in and make worship a priority in your life as you enter into our new normal. Now, next week, we're going to keep digging into our priorities as a church as we enter into our new normal, and we're going to continue to discover what God wants for our church and what God wants from our church. So we hope that you'll come back next week when our next episode drops. That episode will drop Tuesday morning, and if you subscribe to our podcast, it'll be sent straight to your favorite podcasting app. And also remember that you can join us for worship every Sunday morning at 10.30 a.m. Eastern Time on our church's website at mhbclouisville.com. We'd love to have you anytime that you're able to join us. Well, until next week, I hope that you guys have a great week this week. I'll be praying for you, and we'll see you back here soon for another sermon podcast.